Hey, good morning, church. It's a privilege to be invited back. I'm so grateful for that to the elders and for Tyson. And, you know, it's October, and October is Pastor Appreciation Month. I get around the block, get to many churches, and you have a gift here in your uh, pastoral team. Can we show appreciation to Tyson and the team? They're really a blessing of God, so very, very much. And... Um, uh, greetings to everybody who's also joining us online. So First Church is one church in two locations, on-site, online, and we're grateful that we can get in the Word of God today. You know, we, we wake up sometimes and we just realize it's going to be one of those days. We overslept the alarm, we're an hour late for work, we get into the car or the truck and just discover, hey, there's no gas, i got to get gas on the way to work, I'm going to be all the later, I pick up the phone to call, my battery's dead, I'm going to be in a heap of trouble. It's just going to be one of those days, you know? Or, or uh, even on a Sunday, we wake up, I'm not going to church, we say to the wife, she says, oh yeah, you are. No, I'm not going to church, no. Nobody likes me. Nobody talks to me. The sermons are horrible. I am not going to church. She says, you're going to church. You're the preacher. Get your clothes on. You're going to church, all right? So it's just going to be one of those days. We wake up, take a shower, comb the hair, brush the teeth, put in our earrings, and that's just some of the guys, all right? So it's going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those days today because I'm going to talk about money. Uh, we're going to get right down uh, Gritty in the Word of God. We're going to talk about money and the things that money can buy. Now, let me just push pause here a minute. Time out. If you're thinking, oh, don't like that preacher. Hey, friend, your issue is not with me. Your issue is with God. Uh, I'm just the spokesman. What I'm going to do, I'm going to bring to you from this book something that Jesus said about money and the things that money can buy. Jesus said a whole lot about that. As a matter of fact, about a third of all of his parables are about money and the things that money can buy. His Sermon on the Mount, pretty famous sermon, a whole lot of that sermon is about money and the things that money can buy. I bet tomorrow, 40 years since I was ordained as a preacher, and I'm here to tell you, I'm going to preach what my master preacher Jesus preached. I don't preach to please man, I preach to please God. He's my boss, he's my direct report. And uh, 2,300 verses in this book are about money and the things that money can buy. That would tell me and you, God who loves us incredibly, he wants us to have this aspect of our lives in order. You know what? Every single one of us, it doesn't matter how old we are, we got to deal with money every day. Got to put gas in the car, put food on the table, keep a roof over the head. You and I have got to know how to rub two nickels together, period, end of discussion. And this book tells us how. I am so grateful that First Church is giving these away. You talk about generous. That's your sixth core value. Not only do you have a vision and a mission statement, but you have six core values by which you operate. And number six is about, or excuse me, number five is about generosity. You're a generous church. And uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you're about the 40th church that's gone through this. And, uh, you know, if you happen to have kids or grandkids, pick up extra copies. Uh, Leah and I, every time we go to graduation open houses in the spring, we get tons of invitations. We get these books out, we go to Starbucks, we buy a bunch of gift cards, we put a gift card in, we write a note to the graduate and say, please sit down over coffee and read this book. Because many schools are no longer teaching how to rub two nickels together. And we want every high school graduate to get it. Uh, my 
uh, grandchildren. Benaiah, for example, he is 19. Benaiah, I, grandpa, discipled him in this stuff. And Benaiah, at age 19, he bought a car with cash, several thousands of dollars with cash. He has half of his tuition set aside in savings for his bachelor's degree from IUPUI in downtown Indianapolis. He, uh, start, he already has an IRA opened at the age of 19. He's saving for his retirement, and he tithes from every paycheck. Benaiah is off to a good start, but Grandpa taught him that. If you and I are parents or grandparents, we owe it to our children and our grandchildren to teach them this. So by all means, grab some of those books on your way out. And if it's something that you don't know yet, this is something Jesus wants you to know. All right, so with all that being said, we're going to get into the Word of God today. We're going to take a look today at Jesus on generosity, something that he had to say about being generous. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. So whether we have a conventional Bible with paper pages or whether we have a telephone or a tablet, if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Now, this passage, we've got to talk about the context before we look at its content. That's a very important rule in reading the Bible, establishing the context. So Jesus, in this moment, he's at the temple in Jerusalem, and he's there for the feast of Passover. Passover to a Jew is like Christmas to an American. It is a most hallowed, favored, anticipated holiday. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's at the temple, and the streets of Jerusalem are full of people. It's shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder people, hundreds of thousands of Jews would be there for Passover. And what he's about to experience is just days from the cross. Mark 12, this moment, is probably on Tuesday. And Jesus dies on what day of the week, anybody? On Friday. So it's T minus four days and counting to the cross. T minus four days. Now, just stop and, and put that into perspective. If you and I knew that we had only four days to live, what kind of conversations would we have with people? If you and I knew that we had four days on planet Earth, I'm here to tell you, we'd have pretty serious conversations with people, would we not? And that's Jesus in this moment. He's having a serious conversation with his guys, Team Jesus, 12 disciples, T minus four days to his death. Now, here's something more that you and I need to understand. This is such a powerful moment. Think of it like a Kodak moment. Back in the day, I see a lot of young people in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Young people are at First Church. We're grateful for their generation. We who are older, we remember a time when cameras were not on a phone. Can uh, phones hung on a wall. They were attached there permanently, you know. And we had something called a camera. We put something in it called film and uh, it was made by a company named Kodak. And if there was something you wanted to remember as a picture, it was worth a picture, it was called a what? Kodak a moment. Yes, a Kodak moment. Give me a fist bump there, buddy. A Kodak moment, that's right. So this is a Kodak moment, what we're looking at in Mark 12. With all that being said, ready? Here we go. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. 
And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, see, calling them, listen up, guys, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in Everything, all she had to live on. Incredible. Now, three things stand out. First of all, expectation. The Jews here were doing what was expected of them. If we go to the opening books of the Bible, the Torah, the first five books, the books of the law, in Exodus, as the people had come out of Egypt as slavery, and they were birthed, the Israelites were birthed as a nation in Exodus, not once but twice, it says... Do not come into the presence of God empty-handed. They knew that when they went to worship God, they were to take an offering. So here, the Jews are doing what was expected of them, taking an offering to God in their place of worship. Now, let's go on. Not only expectation stands out, but motivation. It's right here. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, let's just talk about offering time in this moment. Now remember, they're shoulder to shoulder. They can barely walk through the streets or the temple courts in Jerusalem. And they're going up to these offering boxes. And many people threw in offerings. I'm not going to play this trumpet. I have it here as a teaching moment, all right? Do you remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, just check it out, Matthew 6, verse 2, he said, and when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do uh, in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Don't announce it with trumpets. It's not this kind of an announcement, such as when Queen Elizabeth goes into a public place and the trumpets are blaring, announcing her arrival. That's not the way it was meant. When Jesus said that, what we need to put into understanding is these offering boxes there at the temple... They were chests, wooden chests, and in it was this metal trumpet, and it looked like this. It was a a metal tube with a bell on it, and people would bring their offerings, and they would throw them in. They would throw in the offering. Now, they didn't have paper currency as do we. All of their money was in the form of metal coin. So silver, copper, or hopefully what? A whole lot of gold. And when those metal coins were put into the offering, what did they do? They hit the side of that bell, and the more uh, coins and the heavier the the metal, like gold, it would hit that, and it would announce to people, oh, look how much I just put in. And they would wait for all those people to be around, and then shazam, bang, Uh, There went that uh, offering, and many people threw in large amounts. Their motivation was entirely unholy. Unholy. Got it? All right, so that stands out. Here's something more that stands out in the text. Notice the devotion. A widow came, it says, Jesus speaking of her, she gave out of her poverty, putting in all that she had to live on. Now, she put in two small copper coins. As a matter of fact, in verse 42, those two small copper coins in Greek means literally thin ones, thin ones. 
from which we get our English word leaf, L-E-A-F. So the coins that she put in were as thin as a leaf. How much noise would that have made? No noise at all. But people would not have noticed, Jesus did. Jesus noticed, and he commended that, that woman for what she did. As a matter of fact, if you would just look in the verse immediately preceding that, that Kodak moment, Jesus is speaking, and he says in verse 38, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They walk around in flowing robes to be greeted in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogue, places of honor at banquets. Now, verse 40, this is huge. They devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. Keep in mind that in this day, when a husband died, the widow had to be cared for by any grown children. If there were not grown children, she was destitute. She didn't have Social Security, uh, death benefits for which to file. She had no IRA from which to withdraw. She had no life insurance policy which to redeem. That woman was absolutely destitute, and oftentimes she could not keep that house, but it was absorbed, taken from her by these doctors of the law. These money men came and devoured widows' houses. So this widow who put in all that she had on which to live might have been homeless that night. We don't know, but she might have been homeless. She put in all that she had on which to live. She didn't have any food in a pantry. She didn't have any food in a deep freezer. She had literally nothing left when she put in all that she had on which to live. You talk about devotion. That is off the chart. And it stood out to who? Whose attention did it grab? Jesus. All right. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. That means this moment still matters to him. He wanted not only his followers in the first century to take note of it. Hey, guys, get over here. This widow, I want you to know this. Calling his disciples to him, hey, get over here. We are his disciples, whether we're on-site or online. And he wants it to capture our attention. The the question is, do we have ears what? With with which to hear. Are we going to listen to what Jesus says right now to us? Your first core value here at First Church says that we value scriptural authority. Do you? Do we? That means if we value scriptural authority, we're going to live under its authority and follow it. Your second core value says we, make bold, we boldly make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. All right, we're going to talk about money and what Jesus said about money, all right? We're going to get a little grittier here. Jesus here is saying, in essence, no one is too poor to give. This widow put in uh, all she had on which to live. Nobody's too poor to give. Oh, but Gary, I'm a high school student. No. I'm a college student, saying I'm for college. No, you're not too poor to give. Oh, uh, Gary, we're newlyweds. We're saving up for a down payment on a house. You're not too poor to give. Oh, but you know what? We are raising our kids. We got a house payment, a truck payment, a car payment. We're paying off our college loans. We are uh, trying to put braces on the teeth of the kids, trying to save up money for their college. I'm sorry, you're not too poor to give. Oh, but we are retired. No, no, not too poor to give. I'm a widow. I'm a widower. Not too poor to give. I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad making all these child support. Not too poor to give. Nobody gets a get out of giving free card. 
Jesus is teaching us no one is too poor to give. There's something else here. This widow, what is Jesus teaching us? That love is an action, not an emotion. Love is more of an action. Oh, I love Jesus. Okay, to what extent do we love Jesus? Do we exhibit that by the way that we live our lives? You know, th think with me for a moment. John 3, 16, I'm sure we know that, right? For God what? So loved the world that he gave. There it is. God so loved that he gave. Love is more of an action than it is an emotion. And in whose image have you and I been made? Genesis 1, verse 26 and following. We've been made in the image of God. God is outrageously generous. He gave us his son, the most indescribable gift of all, that we could have eternal life. And we've been made in his image, so the apple shouldn't fall far from the tree. We should be a chip off from the old block, and we ought to be generous. After all, we've been made in his image. Not tight-fisted, not greedy for more. Uh-uh. Love is more of an action than it is an emotion. And right now, the church, capital C in America, needs to really step up and show by their actions that we are courageous, committed followers of Jesus. Let me just push pause here for a minute. Uh, by God's grace, I get around. This ministry of E2, I've been in churches across the country, coast literally to coast. Uh, not only before COVID, during COVID, and what is now post-COVID. And here's something that grieves me. I've been a preacher now 40 years as of tomorrow. And what grieves me is that the church, the bride, capital C, has slipped into uh, a lethargy. We become complacent. We become even all the more comfortable now on the other side of COVID, even more so than when we are pre-COVID. Now, there, there are blessings of COVID. We've upgraded all of our technology. We're able to do church online. Virtual experiences are incredible but you know what? Now it's time for us to understand online experiences for us when we're home and we're not well or we're at risk or maybe we're traveling and we want to connect with our church family. But when you and I have the capability of being here, love of God is more of an action. I'm going to be in the body of Christ. I'm going to gather together. Think of it this way. If, uh, 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 last week I was in Portland, Oregon. This week I'm in Greenville. Next weekend I'm in Oklahoma and so on. The week after that, North Carolina. If I said to my wife, Leah, of 43 years, hey, Leah, guess what? I don't have to come home in order to be married. I'm just going to keep traveling. I, I might get home around Thanksgiving or Christmas, but we don't have to, uh, I don't have to come home if you and I are going to stay husband and wife. I can tell you right now, that's going to go over like a lead balloon. I'm going to get slapped up on the side of the head real quick. My marriage is going to uh, wither and die if I'm not with my wife. Jesus is called the bridegroom. What are we? The bride. And when we are not gathered together, we are not at our best, and we will wither and die spiritually. I'm not stupid. I've been a preacher for years, decades, and regretfully I can make a list of actual names of people who in convenience have now left even the faith. 
We will wither and die spiritually if we don't, don't gather physically together. Gathering, giving. You see, when we come together and we get stronger in worship, when we worship well, and we are doing that today, we get stronger so that we can go and be the hands and feet of Jesus in Greenville, Bond County, and beyond. There's a purpose for gathering, and Hebrews 10 says that let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us do so all the more as we see the day fast approaching, meaning the second coming of Jesus. So love of Jesus is more of an action than it is an emotion, all right? And then the third thing that Jesus teaches us is that God has to be our master, not money. God must be our master, and certainly that is true of this widow. Her devotion was indescribable. You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, not only did he make mention of those trumpets, but he said, hey, don't store up, store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't do that. No, store up for your treasure where? In heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on right there in that same section. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. And that, it's not Gary, it's Jesus who preached that Sermon on the Mount. So you and I have just got to ask ourselves, who's the master in our lives? Is it money and the things that money can buy, or truly have I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus? All right, so that's that Kodak moment broken down piece by piece, how it speaks today, and it matters to Jesus. Remember, four days in counting to his death. So how do we act on that? How do we literally act? Because remember, it says in the book of James, don't be a mere hearer of the word, be a what? A doer. We, we need to act on this. You know, Mensa is an organization for people who are really, really, and I mean really smart. That would not be me. Mensa is for people who have an exceptionally high IQ. And uh, Mensa had a convention pre-COVID out in San Francisco a few years ago. And they were there, and some of the members of Mensa were out for supper. And while they were sitting at their table, they noticed that the salt was in the pepper shaker and the pepper was in the salt shaker. How do they know that? Because there was an S on the top of this lid and a P, but they could see through the glass that they were in the wrong shaker. And so they just looked at each other, oh, let's figure this out. Here's a real challenge for us. So let's use, use what's left on the table here to make that exchange. And they had a napkin, a straw, and one saucer on the table. Let's make the, so they, they thought it through and they talked and they talked and they came up with a solution. They called their server over. They wanted to impress him. Hey, uh, we want you to know that the salt and pepper are in the wrong shakers here and we have figured out how we're going to do this using only this saucer or this napkin and this straw, watch us, please. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he just took the salt and pepper, and he unscrewed one lid, he unscrewed the other, and he switched the lids, screwed them back on, and goes, there you go. And they thought they were humiliated in that moment. You see, we make things much too difficult. And this giving to Jesus, we make it too difficult. 
There's clear direction in the Word of God. Let's go there. Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. And here's the context. This is God literally in conversation with His people. And He's asking open-ended question after question, and He's answering the question for them. He's getting right down to the nitty-gritty here. And, and before we get into the text, would you do this? Would you glance there with me in chapter 3 at verse 6? Verse 6. And what does God say? I, the Lord, I, God, do not what? I don't change. I don't change. I don't change the way I think. I don't change the way I feel. I don't change the way I act. So what he says here in Malachi chapter 3, long ago, he still, still feels the same way about it because God does not what? Change. Verse 8. Will a man rob God yet? You robbed me. I don't know if anybody in the room has ever been a victim of robbery. Leah and I came home from a trip a few years back. Somebody had robbed us, and it stirred within us some pretty ugly emotions. We were not happy campers. And every time I see that statement, I think of the emotion we had. It was only a fraction of what God must feel. You rob me. Well, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. That word curse in Hebrew means hemmed in by obstacles. The people of Israel had one problem on the heels of another. Why? Because they were taking from God what rightfully belonged to him. Tithes and what? Offerings. You see those are two different things. Tithes and offerings. Two different things. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. There it is. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The whole tithe. How much is a tithe? Anybody? One-tenth. One That's a Hebrew word for tenth or ten percent, in other words. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That would be the temple treasury. The temple treasury. That there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your uh, field will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's an incredible text. Powerful. Now, let's just break it down a little bit. Here we have this tithe word, and some might be thinking, oh, Gary, we don't have to bring a tithe because this is Old Testament. We live in the New Testament era. Well, all right, then I guess we can go around and murder and commit adultery, and we can steal. Those are in the Ten Commandments, but since we don't live under the uh, Old Testament, those are all permissible. No, we, we can't say that. Besides, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23... Jesus affirmed tithing. It's an easy address, 2323, Matthew. Jesus affirmed tithing. And when we look in Paul's letter to Corinth, the second book of 2 Corinthians, we might be saying, oh, Gary, we don't have to tithe because Paul said each one should decide in their heart what they're going to give 
to God. Well, we have to remember context. That was for a love offering that was being collected for believers back in Judea. They were going through a very difficult time, and the church in Corinth already agreed, hey, we're going to collect a love offering for them, and we're going to send it on. So Paul just says, come on now, you made a promise. Remember, everyone should be deciding in their heart what they're going to give to these people who are in need. So when we think, well, where do we begin giving? I believe that this is an incredible teaching. We make it much too difficult. This is so simple, a tithe. If I earn $100 at McDonald's working as a high school student, that's my paycheck. All I have to do is move that decimal point one place over, and my tithe becomes $10. It's not high math. It's not algebra. It's not trigonometry. If I got my Social Security check and it was for $789, I just moved that Decimal point over, it's $78.90, my tithe. It's just so simple to calculate. It's not high math. And this storehouse thing, remember, the temple, what did they do? They would uh, operate. They had upkeep on the temple. They also helped the tribe of Levi stay there. They fed them. The, The Levites didn't have farms and animals and whatnot. They didn't have income. They trusted God to feed them from day to day and to house them. And uh, they cared for widows and orphans. So when we bring the whole tithe to the church, the the house of God, we're able to keep the lights on, the air conditioning, the furnace on, vacuum the rug, mow the lawn, plow the snow. We can keep the church house open. And besides that, we have people who have devoted their lives to full-time sacred service. They're called pastors, and we're able to enable them to say yes to God on the call of God for their life of sacred service, sacred vocation. And we're able to help not only widows and orphans, but we can help uh, church camps and missionaries in far corners of the world taking out the good news of Jesus. There's a, a reason. Listen up. We would want to bring the tithe to the storehouse. There are, there are many good organizations American Red Cross, Cancer Society, Habitat for Humanity, and so on, all incredible, Uh, but only the church, capital C, brings the good news of eternal life through Jesus. The Cancer Society, Heart Association, they can help uh, do research enabling us to live longer, but only the church brings the good news of Jesus so that we have eternal life. That's why I would want to bring the whole tide to the storehouse. So this is not hard for us to understand. Here's an issue, and that is this test. God says, test me in this. And it's the only time God ever says that in the entire word, anywhere in Scripture, and it's about bringing the whole tithe to him. And that, remember, tithing and offerings are two things. Tithing is not generosity. Listen to my heart. It's obedience. Offerings over and above the tithe is when we move into generosity. Tithing is obedience, and we choose either to obey or disobey God on that issue. Then, this test, you just put me to the test, and do you think God passes the test? <laughs> Each and every time he does. He's going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing on you and me that we are unable to contain. Uh, And that doesn't mean $100 bills are going to part the clouds and fall into the backyard. That doesn't mean that. But there are going to be indescribable blessings. Tyson made mention of that earlier in the service. 
Leah and I, we've been married 43 years. We, we have an incredible marriage. We can't imagine being married to anyone else. We have two grown sons, both in the ministry. They both said yes to God's call on their lives. They married incredible young ladies who love Jesus. We have six grandchildren who are growing up to love God more than grandma and grandpa ever did. Those are blessings from heaven we are unable to contain. So God's going to live up to the test. Now, we get tested all the time. We get tested every time we get a paycheck. We get tested every time Social Security is deposited into the checking account. We get tested every time that IRA dividend comes or that uh, interest check comes or those stocks and bond returns are given to us. Are we going to give to God or not? That's the question. Will we honor God with what belongs to him? And we're, we're never going to do that unless we trust God. You see, in the book, I talk about the practice, and that's giving. Well, it's matched with trusting. This widow trusted God with all that she had. God's going to feed me. God's going to house me. God's going to care for me. The question is, do you and I trust God? We trust God for eternal life, do we not? Last breath here, first breath there. Why? Because of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He conquered death, sin, and the grave. So we're trusting him for eternal life. Why can't we trust him with our money and the things that money can buy? In 1956, two incredible things happened. Number one, I was born. So if you were born in 56, it was a good year, all right? Uh, in 56, that would, if we do the math now, you and I were in Club Med. That would be Medicare, okay? And uh, so the other thing that happened in 1956 was our country... Uh, formally adopted our motto. Congressional action determined that in God we trust is our motto. It's printed on every currency, whether a one, five, ten, twenty, or a hundred dollar bill, and it's minted on every coin, whether a penny, nickel, dime, quarter, fifty cent piece, or a dollar coin. It's always there. The question is, are we going to trust God or not? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, Psalm 20, verse 7. You know, um, Sir Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. What kind of a life are you and I living for the glory of God. This isn't hard to understand. What's hard is to act. Um, some years ago, I heard about a guy who had an accident in a factory. His arm was severed from his body. They could not reattach it. This young man loved sports. He went into a deep despair. Why? Because he couldn't play baseball. He couldn't play golf. He, he just... Missed that immensely because he lost an arm. A buddy of his, seeing the depression that was smothering his friend, introduced him to the game of handball. And uh, he learned how to play handball incredibly well with one hand. So much so that he entered the city tournament and he won. He won the championship. He was interviewed afterwards by a reporter and they just said, how, how did you do that? I, we don't mean to be crude, but number one, you've only got one hand. How did you win against your opponent who had two hands? 
And uh, secondly, the opponent in the championship round was younger than you. How did you do that? He goes, <laughs> you just smile. He said, easy. So simple. When I played the ball to my opponent, he had to think. He had to take time to decide what hand do I use with which to return the ball. When he played the ball to me, I only got one hand. The decision was already made. I had no waste of time to play that ball back to him. That's how I won the game. My, my, my decision was already made. And I remember that, hearing that years ago, just like it were yesterday. And you and I, can we say the same when it comes to tithes and offerings? My decision is already what? Already made. You're going to receive, when you leave today, this card. Now, this card is in two parts, it's perforated down the middle. So, one side and the other, they're identical except for one thing. The card says, I'm, I'm going to make a decision here. I will start giving. Maybe today we make a decision. Finally, we're going to start giving. Or another decision, I'm going to increase my giving. I already am, but I'm going to increase it. Or I'm going to start tithing. My decision is already made. I'm going to obey the Word of God. I'm going to start tithing. Or it might be, I'm going to continue tithing. I already am, but I'm going to continue tithing. Or it might be, I will give generously above and beyond the tithe. And on the one side, you sign your name, you tear that off, and you keep that as a reminder of the promise made. For years at Indian Creek Christian Church, the creek where I was the lead minister for 30 years, we did these every November. And Leah and I, we would sign it, and I would keep that in the checkbook as a constant reminder. We made a promise to God, and by God's great grace, we're going to live up to that promise. This anonymous portion comes back to the church. And the elders would like you to make a decision. It might be that your decision's already made. Please drop that in the offering box, the one without your name, but your decision. Or bring it back next week. Or bring it back by November the 7th. And here's why November the 7th. The church wants to calculate the response you know, don't have any names, but let me give you an example. One of our partner churches in Delaware, 15 minutes from the Atlantic Ocean. Two years ago, I was there, and we did this, and we handed out the decision cards, and over two-thirds, more than 66%, just shy of 70% of the giving units at that church made a promise to tithe. And they lived up to that. You know what happened this last year? They burned their mortgage. They're completely debt-free. When we answer God's call, his command, we are able to see God do amazing things. I'm hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit is not only giving us ears with which to hear, but the Holy Spirit is giving us the courage to decide. A decision that's already been made, I will be generous with my God. He enables me to be generous. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. If you're here today and you're sensing the Holy Spirit stirring you to ask a question, to ask for prayer, D is here, Tyson is here, I can see elders in the room, 
and their wives are with them. Jesus said, I want my Father's house to be a house of prayer. How can we pray for you today before you leave? Might be that you're here today on site or online and you've got a Jesus question. You're, you're wanting a relationship with Jesus and we would want to answer that question for you so that you can take that next step in his direction. Lord, we pray for your hand of protection to be on your bride at First Church. On every person, young and old alike. On every marriage, on every single person. We pray that the work of their hands, their physical health, their emotional strength and well-being, that you would protect the bride at First Church here in Greenville, that you would dispatch legions of righteous warring angels, that they would go out and they would literally protect this bride, every person, from the attempt of the evil one to wreak havoc in their lives. Your word says clearly in the book of Hebrews, are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So I'm asking you, Father, send them. And I pray, Almighty God, that you would give to this bride tremendous vision for winning this community, this county seat, this entire county and beyond, to the Lordship of Jesus, because it is your hope that changes everything. So we just pray for that courage today to be obedient, to truly, boldly make disciples who live under the authority of your word. All for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.